listening to the Heartland Author Podcast. I am Aaron Apollo Camp. For this episode, I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Robbie Iyer. Dr. Iyer is a physician, scientist, inventor, and the author of The Reaper's Dance, 1,000 Days of COVID. I'm here with Dr. Robbie Iyer, that's spelled I-V-E-R, who is the author of The Reaper's Dance, 1,000 Days of COVID. Dr. Iyer, welcome to the Heartland Author Podcast. Thank you. Delighted to be here, Aaron. Feel free to introduce yourself to our listeners. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Ravi Ayer. Um, his name is spelt a little bit off. Uh, it's I-Y-E-R. But uh, um, be as it may, I'm, uh, I'm a physician. I practice in Northern Virginia. And uh, uh, I'm a recently minted author. It's my first book. Uh, wrote it in about 60 days. Uh, started on December 10th. And the book essentially was finished by February 11th. I tinkered with it for about another two or three months and then published it on Amazon. So, so it was an definitely a learning experience. Uh, and uh, it's only after I wrote the book that I found out that writing the book was actually the easiest part of book writing. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, writing, um, for a lot of authors, uh, actual, actually writing the manuscript is often the easiest part. The harder part is the stuff you have to do afterwards. Yep, 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 it is. The hardest part is, is all the post... Uh, publishing, marketing that you gotta do. Uh, without spoiling too much of the Reaper's Dance, what is that book about? Well, um, there are no spoilers in that. It's it's the story of uh, the pandemic, all three years of the pandemic, as seen and experienced through the eyes of a frontline clinic. Um, there are quite a few books on the pandemic already, but if you look at all those books, they all uh, are focused on the science of the pandemic. Uh, they focus on the epidemiology of disease, um, the virology, uh, the biology of viruses and how they spread, and uh, the biology of vaccines or the politics of uh, of high level science and uh, biosecurity and biosafety um, and uh, the cover up or the conspiracy uh, ideas that uh, there is a cabal of scientists uh, plotting to uh, unleash Armageddon. But what is uh, not present in any of the books out there is the real stories of the impact it had on common people. The mother who died and left behind two orphan children. The children who were orphaned because uh, in COVID uh, adults died more 
uh, in greater numbers than children and globally a lot of children were orphaned and uh, globally uh, low income below poverty line children were swept up in human trafficking uh, prostitution soared during covid um, human trafficking soared all over the country all over the world uh, people were driven into economic slavery uh, so if you the horror of all of that was never adequately addressed uh, and there is not a single book out there that talks about the the average impact it had on abused people uh, women were locked in with their abusive spouses during lockdown with no place to go and uh, abuse soared uh, so these are the stories of the pandemic the unknown untold stories that i saw on a daily basis in my clinic and uh, i felt i had to write it i do talk about the virus and the uh, and the pathology of it but uh, in a 13 chapter book there are only two chapters devoted to uh, one to the gain of function research and the evidence surrounding the origins of the pandemic uh, as a leak from a lab and another chapter on the creation of a vaccine and how it works and why it is valuable from a variant standpoint and so on and so forth um, in the writing of this i relied heavily on published literature um, stayed away from uh, dubious sources of information so it's very very highly cited it's uh, more than 120 citations in the book and uh, the references are there as footnotes on every page right at the point where they are referred so it's easy for people to follow so that in essence is the book um so far with the exception of a single reviewer who was offended by uh the book calling a spade a spade with regard to the public health policies that were in place during that particular period the majority of all the rest of the reviews have been extremely extremely positive in the region of 4 stars to 5 stars on an amazon rating of 5 uh, the amazon rating sky believe goes from 1 star to 5 star yes yeah Okay, is so, the Reaper's Dance is that self-published, traditionally published or published through a hybrid press? It went through um, directly from uh, through Kindle desktop publishing or a Kindle Direct, Direct Publishing commonly yeah. called KDP. KDP, yeah. That's exactly what I did. Are you currently writing a book about neurodiversity because I read that somewhere about you and don't remember where I read that about you. Yeah, uh that's my next thing that I'm writing. Uh um we're writing a a book on neurodiversity and how it impacts because there is a increasing recognition that neurodiversity is 
a problem that needs to be addressed in the workforce in a more meaningful way than it has been so far. And uh, so that is my next book that I'm right now in the process of doing the background research. Now, how does your ADHD, now I understand you have ADHD, I have an autism spectrum disorder. Mm-hmm. Now, how does your ADHD help and hinder you as a physician and as an author? Uh, I don't know whether it, I definitely see it as a help, I don't see it as a hindrance. In As a physician, um, the help is, I have a razor sharp mind. Um, I also have a photographic memory. Um, so my ADHD is not, yes it is predominantly ADHD, but there are some elements of spectrum in it. And uh, uh, the photographic memory that I have uh, allows me to speed read through large volumes of text and commit them uh, very easily. Um, I can dissect complex systems very easily and get down to to patterns, I can detect patterns very, very quickly. In so when I see a patient, I can, I'm intuitively, uh, I can pick up diagnoses uh, far before anybody else even suspects the presence of disease. So that makes me a very, very uh, powerful physician. Where it hinders me is. Uh, the ability to execute, especially when there is a large number of patient volume, then I will have difficulty switching from one patient to the next um, and remaining on task. Uh, it's, But I'm 65 years old and I was diagnosed with ADHD at 58 and by then I had already gotten my physician's degree, I had gotten a doctoral degree, I had finished two postdoctoral fellowships at Harvard, uh, gotten Young Investigator Awards, been sponsored for a fast-track green card by Harvard as an exceptional alien. I had already been the director of a hospice and a chairman of a department of medicine at a hospital. So when I got diagnosed at 58, by then I had already accomplished despite my issues. So I did not, I decided that I don't need any medications. I had figured out through trial and error how to handle my variation in the way my brain works successfully. So the value of the diagnosis was just in finding uh, a name for what I, what was my daily experience. So in a sense I found my tribe. So that was v very liberating to know that. 
but beyond that it did not change anything in my treatment or everyday experience uh, <laughs> as a writer my my uh, adhd is uh, gives me linguistic skills that uh, are superior where i lack is mathematical skills i am not very i am not very good with numbers so i probably have a little bit of dyscalculia in it um but uh, because of my pattern oriented mind i can paint a very intensely powerful passages uh with words extremely uh, hard hitting impactful passages and uh, that and the second thing is uh, the adhd aspect allows me to work in profound bursts of speed uh, for example i wrote the entire book in in 60 days and i would work and i would uh and i was doing that after spending 12 hours in the clinic seeing patients and i would come home and i would sit down and write for 3 hours or 4 hours at a stretch and finish a chapter um i also was able to because of my adhd i could i would work on one chapter then leave it unfinished move, move on to another chapter finish that then loop back and work on the first and i would work on multiple chapters like that and then later on stitch the chapters together so this kind of uh, distributed work where my thought process could move from one to the other and then detect patterns of the chapter i was working and then loop back to the previous chapter and weave that pattern back into it allowed for a very very rich uh experience of writing then later on i would i would come back and then clean up discordant notes here and there so that was the way i write i i write in i i i call it jigsaw puzzle writing <laughs> and uh, it's a technique that i have coined by myself i i didn't ever go to any creative writing school or anything on that side you engage in uh, many diverse uh, fields and what is the common denominator that drives it all together i love life i love life i like my my fascination is uh, about life um, what makes life work and uh, and how do you make life work when it does not work and that is the fascination i have with life so every other field that i have is basically a means to answer this one question uh, how do you empower people how do you empower people to live life to their best a patient who comes to me is not concerned with the disease he's concerned with a, 
the question, Doc, I have something that is bothering me that is preventing me from experiencing life the way I would like to li experience it. How can you help me get back to where I was? And I only do three things. I either remove the obstruction that is preventing him from experiencing life the way he wants it. If I can't remove it, then I reduce its impact. And if I can't do both, then I try to teach him to live with it despite its presence. And that's the only thing I do. And everything that I do, my, my excellence in writing, my narrative capacity, my capa capability of, of creating stories that empower my ability to understand science, to discover medicines, to patent, to invent, all of that is only for this one service. How do you make life work? My final question is, how do you define excellence? I don't. The people who look at me, look at my work, they define excellence. It's an opinion. Excellence is an opinion. It is an other person's, as a spectator's opinion about a performance that they see in front of me, front of them. The person who is actually excellent is not really concerned about excellence at all. He's only concerned about functioning in, in harmony with his vision and purpose. And the people who look at that person say, oh wow, that guy is excellent. So, excellence is a reported experience, it's an opinion of somebody else. And um, the people who are actually excellent are not focused on excellence at all. They are focused on living their life's purpose, their vision and purpose. Your answer to my final question, uh, uh, was very good. In fact, your, your responses to all of my questions were very good. Dr. Iyer, thank you for appearing on the Heartland Author Podcast. You were a wonderful guest. Thank you. It's always wonderful to interview a fellow neurodivergent person. This is Aaron Apollo Camp reminding y'all to write your imagination. Bye for now. You can learn more about me and my book writing projects at camparenapollo.witsite.com forward slash author AAC. You can follow me on Facebook at author AAC and on Instagram at AAC Scribe. Copyright 2023, Aaron Apollo Camp, all rights reserved. This podcast episode is intended for the private listening of our audience. Any reuse or retransmission of this podcast episode without the express written consent of the podcast host is prohibited, except under fair use guidelines. Royalty-free music and sound effects obtained from https colon forward slash forward slash www.zapsplat.com.